This is your brother's house. I was running it fine without you. Why didn't he leave it to you then? Don't wipe your hands on your apron, Chef. Jeff, I refer to everybody as Chef because it's a sign of respect. You could throw down, huh? Behind, behind. So how you gonna pass the family test? Delicious or impressive? Delicious is impressive. Well, all right. Yo, family's up. I just never had platanos with, like, grass on them. <laughs> we want to change this restaurant, right? But we have to change the chemistry. Chicago. Why are you always, like, watching me? Because it's just sort of my job. We're the Chili Flakes. Because it organizes, it's more confusing. Right there. Label Chili Flakes. This is a delicate ecosystem, and it's held together by a shared history and love. I have every intention of turning this into a respectable place of business. Eventually. Hello, hello, hello. This is Lisa Zambetti, and this is Killer Casting, and I'm here with two very special blokes. We've gotten the the band together again, and uh, for a very special episode, we're, for a very special show that we're going to be covering called The Bear. Um, it's an original Hulu FX extravaganza, and there is nobody who I could possibly talk about this show with other than my former wingman, Brian Allen Hill. Hey. What up? What's going on, everybody? So Brian is actually in Chicago. This show takes place in Chicago. Not only is Brian there now, but he lived there years ago as an actor before he went into casting, and now he's back. And I really wish that he had been sitting next to me while watching this show, because there was just so many things I was plotting over. But... We can't forget who else is with us today. My hmm? thunder what? from down hmm? under, my Dean Weenie. How are you, Dean? <laughs> I'm very well, Lisa. It's uh, great to be back and uh, also great to uh, have the great man, Brian Allen Hill, the handsomest man in podcasting. Ah, get he's, out of here. He's, he's, <laughs> no, it's fucking true. And he's back, folks. He's back. And uh, there's a little bit of symmetry here because... At least one of the last things that we did with Brian was uh, we were chatting about uh, Anthony Boudin. And so now here we are back with the bear. So there's uh, there's a certain sort of uh, come a full circle kind of a vibe going here, which I'm very happy about. So right. all, so all good just, things. Let me just intro this show for a second. So it's called The Bear. And so if you, if you don't know, um, it's about this Chicago kind of hole in the wall sandwich shop that's called The Beef. And the premise of the whole show is that it, it was a family-run restaurant and the oldest brother inherited the restaurant. It was running it for years and years. And then this he died. He took his own life and his younger brother came in to take over for him, take over the restaurant, keep it afloat. And this brother played by the great Jeremy Allen White is a very upscale chef. You know, he's been trained. He's worked in the French laundry. He's not a dive kind of a chef or a cook. And he's come back to take over the restaurant and keep it afloat and chaos (laughs) ensues. So that's the premise. And, you know, I'm 
a huge fan of cooking shows in general. We just talked about Anthony Bourdain, but I'm a huge fan of Top Chef and and those kinds of cooking shows because I love craft. You know, I love watching people who can do extraordinary things that I can't. It's the same reason why I love Project Runway or those kinds of shows about craft. And this show just is just a love letter to a kind of craft and a kind of lifestyle that I think Brian and I know very well because restaurant, the restaurant world and the acting world and entertainment world really dovetail each other. Right. Yeah. I, 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 the, the one word that when I started watching it, that popped to mind was, and in every aspect was authentic. And that's the casting that's the story. That's the story approach. Um, like the the world that's created the language, you know, the language in the in the back of house, right? Like mm-hmm. corner behind you, mm-hmm. you know, on your left, on your right. Like all of these, uh, and I still do it. I mean, I haven't worked in a restaurant in over ten years, right. and I still, when I'm in the grocery store, will be behind somebody and go behind you, or on your left, on your right. Like I I can't stop doing that. So that is so authentic and and i think and it's so authentically chicago it's so immersed in in the very marrow of the town and it's remarkable i mean like i love jeremy allen white in this but for me like i i'm gonna mispronounce the guy who plays richie yeah Yvonne moss backrack is like i've known guys in chicago he embodies that whole yeah. attitude and everything is fucking this and fucking that and like you this know kind that of, many assholes there's that many assholes yeah. well, but this is the it's thing I, no but this is the thing i mean it's like there is a there's a roughness to this town that is is very pr- like front and center you know and but once you get to know a per like you know when i when i bartended this place fireside restaurant on North Ravenswood Avenue, Catacorny to Rose Hill Cemetery. If you're in Chicago, uh, go there. It's still great. It's been there over 20 years. But like, you know, the regulars I would get in, like they were abrasive, but like once you got to know them, once they knew you were good, right? And you, you know, bought them a couple of drinks here and there, like they were salt of the earth. You could have a conversation with them about anything. And there's just, there's a, there's a scene, I think, in episode six where they open the doors and Richie starts busting balls with the regulars, like, yes, like from word go. And it's like, and that's exactly what Chicago is. I mean, and, mm. and people want an authentic interaction. They don't want like to feel like they're getting snowed. Right. So if you're busting chops and I've seen it in, in diners, I've seen it in like it, it's just this kind of Chicago mentality and attitude. And he embodies it. Right. I mean, if if yeah. if Chicago is the like the polarity of of sacred and profane, like <laughs> Carmen and Richie are like the embodiment, like Carmen is is the sacred and Richie is the profane. And they they exist in opposition and in harmony. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's what this and that's what this town is, you know, yeah. to to put it in. Brian, can I ask you, apparently the uh, the location, the exterior is a shot at a place called uh, Mr. Beef. Uh, at Orleans and Huron. Do you know it? Have you been there? I've not been there, but I know Orleans and, and Huron. I mean, like, okay. it's, the, and that's the thing. Like, uh, I know that I've seen that sign. Right. And that sign, that I, I wrote a note about it. Like, that sign is like 
in terms of production design, like it, the wrote the note I wrote is like it's like Barney Miller production design. You know, Barney Miller. That said, they had somebody on they had somebody on set to like distress if there was a white piece of paper, they would distress it. And and to me, like the dirtiness of that yeah. sign. The mm. you know what I mean, like again, it, it goes back to they're not trying to to do a a, a cleaned up version of this, right? You know, where it's populated. Mm. Like they're not doing it for you know free form. By the way, shout shout out to Barney Miller uh, as one of the coolest fucking theme songs on TV. Absolutely. It's my ringtone. Ever. It's my ringtone. Get seriously? Yeah. Let's see if I it's such a cool fucking that is such a cool. Something I want to say about the cast. Massive baseline. So when I saw the the trailer for this and I saw that Jeremy Allen White was in it, you know, I was a little bit like, hmm, because you know, he's just come off all of these seasons on shameless which also I had the same takes, thought. yeah which also takes place in chicago also kind of just a similar vibe you know um scrabblers a family who's a bunch you know scrabblers but and he's not super different in this role i mean you could almost i mean some some people have said this is almost an extension of the role of lip who's gone on to become a chef but in any case um, he's so great. He's so alive and in the moment. And I love that they've um, not thrown a love interest into this all. Like there's a lot, of, it's just a really well constructed, the architecture of it is so great. How in the beginning you're just thrown into the world. Like usually there would be in a most, you know, network um, shows, there would be the scene, the, the funeral, right? And then the scene where the brother kind of comes in and it's really awkward and he's dressed up and doesn't fit into this world. And and you see that sort of first day, but we're not in the first day when the show opens. We're we're kind of into Mm. it and he's trying to start change, but he's already working. He's already exhausted. And and, you know what you were saying about, you know, behind you on your left, if you've worked in the restaurant business, you know, it's like working on a submarine. I mean, you are in such close (laughs) quarters and every single space is is got a function and and everybody is very territorial about their space and so and everybody's sort of coordinating their movements around each other it's like a dance right and so that felt so you know real to me and, and i've worked in dives but i've also worked in very very upscale so i really understood the two worlds that were at play here you know his world of being you know the chef de cuisine at you know upscale restaurants and the then, cdc as sydney calls him right and then the other side of it i've worked CDC. in those dives and i've even opened a restaurant before and i remember brian i don't know if you ever went to ali's end in new york but a lot of our buds work there and I helped open that restaurant. And I remember it was like kind of not going that great. You know, nobody was coming in, but then we got a review. We got the first New York times review and I didn't know, but I had waited on the reviewer. Um, And it was a, it was a great review and we were in trouble. I mean, the yeah. next day, the phone would not stop ringing. People were lined up outside the door. We were in chaos and it was terrifying, you know? Yeah. Um, so I I really, really responded in a personal way to everything going on. And, and just what you're saying about even, um, I just love the casting of him. For one thing, he's so tall and it's great to see him 
in contrast with Jeremy, who is so short and he's kind of towering yeah. over everything. And he's not an asshole. He's just a local guy. When he goes, like you say, he goes outside and say, oh, you, you know, Snyder cut motherfuckers can go fuck off. You know, I love yeah. that. Um, but he is just a neighborhood fixture. And I found it so authentic. And he's just an incredible actor. He's just so live, you know. Hey, you yeah. guys, being locals, uh, a couple of questions for you, Brian. Number one. Uh, I live in Australia, folks, so it's hard for me to keep up with, um, you know, sometimes politics and news coming out of the US. Maybe the Supremes made a ruling. I don't know. But is it law that you have to use a Wilco song for every fucking TV production that comes out of Chicago? No, no it's not. But I, but I made a note of that. I made a note of that, that they had, you know, <laughs> Wilco, like a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I, I you know, I mean, it, they're, they're so... Chicago is so proud of the musicians who've come out of and, and of the music scene. And right. Wilco is just, just part so, of it. Yeah. so yeah. good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I'm yeah, not going to yeah, fault yeah. No, on that. Just... But the thing I was telling Lisa, so in, um, you haven't gotten there yet, but in episode seven, it's the only episode where they have an opening credit, like an opening, like mm. uh, s- sequence, right. Of the, all of that. Um, yep. And it opens with uh, a local DJ guy named Lynn Bramer, KXRT. Yes, I read it's that. Been an, it's been an institution. He's been an institution in Chicago for yep. decades. He was the morning drive guy for years. And it's him. And it's, you know, and then Sufjan Stevens, they they play Chicago, which is a great, great song. And, I, you know, I mean, it's like when I heard his voice, I was like, and it sounds like what he would say on the radio. You know what I mean? It's not an approximation. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, the other thing was, uh, in, and I don't know whether I just didn't get this, but in um, episode one, uh, at one point, Richie says, uh, I think that they, they did a roundtable, I think, of, oh, I'm grateful for this and I'm grateful for that. And he says, I'm grateful for, Phil- for Philip K. Dick. And I went, what? I, I didn't get what that was about. Now, for listeners, Philip K. Dick, of course, is the science fiction author who uh, wrote Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which became Blade Runner. And wrote a, uh, he also wrote the short story on which he wrote a, a story called We Can Remember It For You Wholesale, which was what was made into the film with Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he, what's that, what was that called? Where he's, oh, he's Total Recall. He's in a, Total Recall. That became Total Recall. So Philip K. Dix is famous science fiction author. And, I, and it just, this line just seemed to come out of nowhere. And I wondered whether either of you got what that was about. No? Okay. I don't, gonna, but I'm sure that it was just something. a fly. But, but this is, the, but, but, but again, like there's a buddy code, there's a buddy speak in this, mm. right? There's a there's an understood language and that they capture really well in the show. Like, and and that they they don't make the audience necessarily privy to because you know, we're not gonna catch everything. And and the thing that I love about the show, and I think that the shows that we have all responded to as a group when we're not spoon fed something, when we're just dropped into the world, you know, and allowed to kind of like figure it out as we go along. Like for me, like, that's it. That's what I dig. Yeah. And I loved, so they introduce this kind of fish out of water character where Sydney, this young, you know, up and coming chef comes to want to work for, um, the beef wants to work for the restaurant only because really that because Jeremy Allen White, whose whose character Carmi has now taken the helm. And so she's kind of 
Yeah, but it was also her dad's favorite restaurant, remember? Yeah, she right. said yeah. So, right, right, right. so she had this sort of emotional connection. I love the nuance of this because it's not like this restaurant is failing. I mean, it's clearly popular. You know, it, it's it's not like nobody's coming in. Like in a well, normal in in a normal cable or in a normal network show, it would be totally failing, you know, and they would need rescuing. It doesn't quite need that, but the finances are definitely in a jumble. And, you know, it's overextended and stuff like that. But so I thought that was interesting. But yeah, so she comes and she wants to work for him. And it's so interesting because Jeremy, uh, sorry, Carmi, he's the fulcrum between two worlds, right? Because he and Sydney have a language together, right? They have an aesthetic that they would love to achieve. But then again, he and all the other crew um, wonderful ensemble of, you know, of prep cooks and all the other, you know, chefs. Um, he also knows, understands their language too. And he's sort of torn between those two worlds. Speaking of the- uh, oh, casting, Lisa, just, uh, just, just to jump in there on casting. Uh, I didn't know this, but in, in just sort of delving into the IMDB and just sort of uh, looking at, uh, at the background of this. So the, uh, the handyman fix it guy, uh, who's you know like totally yeah. fucks everything up? Maddie, his name's Maddie Matheson. Matheson. Yeah, yeah, and apparently he's apparently like a really famous Canadian actual chef, but they've right. got him as the as the the, fa- the fix it guy in there. And just bef- in case I don't get the chance to get it out, can we say uh, for me? I mean, I, I, I really like the Kami character, and I like I didn't know the guy from Shameless because I haven't watched it, so to me he was kind of new, and um, and he's got that sort of lanky hair greasy hair kind of aesthetic thing going when he's rocking that which is good but the the, the guy that popped in and i'm like wait a mm-hmm. minute who the fuck is that again mm-hmm. and what the, the best cameo uh or, or, or sort of um ensemble character for me is oliver platt he's fucking crushing that role he's yeah. just so as, many, as, yeah he was fantastic. yeah yeah uncle well, and this um, is the um, thing. uncle cicero you know this is the speaking, thing that's great speaking of debt right <laughs> so oliver platt and amy morton are involved in the chicago shows Right. Right. So Oliver Platt is Chicago Med. Uh, Amy Morton is, I think, Chicago Fire or. No, she's Chicago PD and she's a huge theater actress. Yeah, no, she was the artistic director of Steppenwolf for years. Right. right. Uh, So, yeah, so she's a known, obviously, she's a known value here. Right. So she plays the inspector, the, the, the inspector that gives them the, 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 and, the D or the whatever. And, yes, and Mr. So, yeah. Mr. Carl, Mr. Carl, um, it's an episode you haven't seen yet, Dean, but a guy, Richard Katowski, uh, played Mr. Carl. He's the shaggy bearded guy who was getting into it with uh, one of the corner guys, Johnny, mm-hmm. in uh-huh. episode six or seven, I think. Great face, great character face. 40 years in Chicago theater. He had a, a theater company called Mary Archie that was mm. an institution in this town, kind of the uh, off loop theater scene. And I saw his face. I was like, Oh, there's, there's rich. You know what I mean? It's like, it, <laughs> yeah. again, it's just these yes, like the locals in your re- but there's yeah. some real about, Valentine's about, in there. Like Molly Ringwald. I was just about to say, I mean, that. what about episode three? Molly Ringwald pops in. I'm like, that's fucking Molly Ringwald. Or wow. Joel, Joel McHale as the asshole. Um, oh, how know, good was he? Uh, yeah, the chef, chef. yeah. And you know, Brian, I don't know. Uh, can probably have I can attest that his portrayal is 100 fucking percent accurate when you get to that those high high level restaurants where they're charging hundreds of dollars for a plate of food the abuse is 
unbelievable. I mean, I worked at a very, very famous restaurant and I, I worked in their like private back rooms where I met politicians and, and Muhammad Ali and, and like, you know, every kind of star and, and the pressure um, for service is just sick. Mm. And so I found him very, very believable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, many uh, Matheson, like I, you know, his one big credit is it's supper time. It's a, it's a show on vice. It's a cooking show. That's where I first saw him. And he's uh-huh. instantly recognizable because he's covered in tats and he's a big fella, you know, but he, yeah. he makes like, he's a, I think his claim to fame is kind of uh, making higher end kind of comfort food mm-hmm. and it's real profane, you know, like he curses up a bunch, you know, in the course of going through these recipes or whatever. So when I saw him, I was like, Holy cow. And I was surprised how good he was. I actually like disagree. I thought he was way out of his depth. And Oh, the, I thought rest, he was great. The rest of the ensemble was so tight to me that when I saw him, I'm like, okay, this is somebody who's somebody's friend, somebody's something. I thought he was so he pushy. He was so pushy with it. And he just for me it just stood out like a really sore thumb in, in an otherwise really tight dropped in ensemble, you know, for me. Hey, um, circling back to your comment, Lisa, about the way that you are quite happy about the fact that it didn't open with a funeral scene and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I'm only four episodes in, uh, but a couple of things. Uh, Maybe it resolves, but I think they've left it too long for me. I keep wanting to know what's, so what happened? What's with the brother? Like, Okay, I'm happy to, you know, be kept waiting a little bit, but, I mean, I'm halfway through the series and we really don't know anything yet. We haven't, I haven't seen him, haven't heard from him. You will both. You know, mysterious. And the fact that he's quit his, you know, his his, his job, will that resolve? Oh, yeah. What did you say, Yeah, you'll, I mean. Yeah, okay, right. In the next four episodes. At the moment, I'm actually... Uh, okay, it's uh, it'll make sense. All right. But so, what do you know thus moment, far? I, I, I mean, what do you know thus far? Well, you, you know, the, the in retrospect, the the brother has died by suicide, and he's in there trying to make it right. There was a re- there's a really good scene between him and his sister. Uh, his sister is is that sugar? Yeah, sugar, sugar. So she says to him at one stage. I mean, he's clearly he's feeling the pressure of having to make this right. Right. He, mm-hmm. Interestingly, he, his brother never let him work there. I've picked that up. Right. He, mm-hmm. His brother wouldn't let him work in, in the shop. You know, you're better than this, I assume. But at one point she says, um, it's not your job to fix this. And he just looks at her and says nothing, which, and it was a fucking great scene. It's like, He's like, yes, I've decided to do this, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix this. At the moment, I just feel the four reps in. It's a little bit disjointed, mm. and it's it's a collection of really great characters, great scenes, great casting, and and I went into it wanting to like it so much because I love the trailer, and you know, me and Corking, like I'm all in, right? So at the moment, I'm just sort of, it, it's not as good as the sum of its parts for me at episode four. However, I did try and watch episode seven, Brian. You talked about that opening sequence, and I did see that. Full disclosure, I'm hamstrung a little bit because you can't watch this series in Australia. It is unavailable on any streaming platform whatsoever. So I've had to get cough creative about um, <laughs> about watching it. And in doing so, the two separate versions of it that I've got, they keep blowing up. 
So I'll be watching it and it'll just blow up. And then it reaches a certain point and it blows up on that point every single time. So it's difficult mm, for me right. to, uh, to to watch it. But season seven, Brian, I wanted to ask your opinion because I did read a review of, sorry, season, episode seven. Mm-hmm. And I'm dying to see episode seven because of one particular reason, which, Brian, do you know what that would be apart from the opening it's, sequence? What was shot in one, one yeah. shot. Yeah, it's a one shot. And so I did read a breakdown of the, of that episode and where it just talks about how perfect, in fact, I think it was an interview with um, with a filmmaker and about why they chose to do that one shot on that particular episode. And I believe it's sort of baked into what that episode's all about. It, it adds to the, uh, the, the guy who wrote the piece was saying that you literally are holding your breath the whole time, you know, because it's mm-hmm. because of what's going on in the storyline as well as the way that they actually chose to shoot it. And that the, as good as the performances were that the real hero of that shot was actually the cameraman or the DOP who had to work out. Apparently they shot it. I think they did the entire scene six or seven times in one go. And then they took one, they used one of those takes, but it took about three or four days for the camera guy just to work out how he was going to move the camera, where he was going to put it and where he was going to point it so they could get that done. So I'm busting to see that episode. And I'll I'll tell you this. So um, I would say, I would say, you know, five and six are going to give you more information for Mm -hmm. me because the episode seven is 20 minutes. Episode eight is 47. And it's almost Mm -hmm. like, it's almost in my mind after seeing that, it's almost like the first six episodes are, prologue i mean it's like it's almost like yeah. somebody handing you a file here's a background file on what's happening in this restaurant <laughs> you know what i mean and the fact that yeah. they have the opening credits on episode seven like i think they're mm. almost seeing it that way like like it's a two-part like it's seven and eight are kind of like the movie right yeah. everything else yeah. is kind yeah. of yeah. like yeah. 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 prep yeah. to get you to that ah. you know um, oh, well, there you go. It's, it's almost like a restaurant. It's like six steps of prep for two episodes yeah. of service. Yeah. What's something weird about the credits, Brian, that I noticed that Oliver Platt did not get any special billing, which I thought was insane. I was, I mean, that's something that I noticed. Yeah, I noticed that kind of stuff too. He didn't get like a and or a with uh-huh. or a special guest star. I mean, he was just in the end credits with the other guest stars. And I thought that was, that was a little crazy. So I've struggled with stomach issues for a long time from food sensitivities to bouts of IBS to bloating and just general discomfort. I've been there. So I'm always looking for things to improve my digestion proactively. And my friends at Plantiva have something great that has really helped and it's called Digestive. Digestive is a product that helps with bloating, after meal discomfort, digestive upset, and just those occasional stomach aches and nausea, and it helps keep you regular. This product has a blend of herbs that helps break down plant fibers and fats and proteins into smaller units called peptides and amino acids, and it improves the nutritional value of fats and oils. But all I care about is that I feel much better when I'm taking it. Dr. Morrissey and his whole family really know what they are doing. So why don't you try it for yourself? Go to plantiva.com for your exclusive discount code. 
That's plantiva.com slash killer casting. I think for me, I mean, I completely hear what you're saying because as you both know, I am not as interested in story as you both are. I love hanging out with characters. Like I could just sit there with them and they're all their fucking weird ass ticks and, and, you know, personalities. And I'm completely happy just watching them make sauce mm, and yeah, figure out yeah, yeah. how to, you know, cock the hole in the wall as the big conflict. <laughs> See, but, but for me, it's like, but, but this is the thing for me, it's like, they're giving me just enough as an audience member. And maybe it's because I live in Chicago now and I, I, I love being back in Chicago. And so like seeing everything kind of just happening organically on the screen um, makes me, I get enough of a story where I know where I'm at and I'm not being spoon fed again. And the, the thing that I love about the casting is, and I've, I've mentioned this, like, and I was with you, Lisa, I wasn't going to watch the show because Jeremy was cast in the lead. And I was like, this is kind of shame again. He's doing shameless. It's like Chicago. It's like, uh, and the advertisements are just, they don't give you a bunch. I mean, Marketing in television and movies is garbage. It's terrible. They really are bad at it. But Gail Pillsbury texted me at midnight and said, are you watching the bear? We're obsessed. You need to watch it. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I started watching it. It was like instantly hooked. And this is the thing I love about the casting is, you know, diversity is like that buzzword in Hollywood. Like we'll get a script written for an all Caucasian cast but we'll have, you know, some casting executives say, oh, um, we need to have some diverse choices. So we just kind of have to shoehorn it in there. This is so organically, they're just yeah. people populating the world and they're not doing it. You know, the backstory, there's no like impoverished or this horrible, like horrific cliche backstory. They're just people working in a restaurant. And it's right. very representative of the real restaurant. Bingo. And they're representative yeah. of the town, right? right it's just, right, they're not, right. they're not like, it's not like they're not holding it on their sleeves. Like, oh, look, you know what I mean? They're just existing yeah. in the world and having interactions with each other, like in this really natural, organic way. And that's what I appreciate. To me, that's what, that's what it should be, you know? Mm. And this really, yeah, I just, Sorry, I, I just okay. realized that maybe, part of because you know you talk about being Lisa just sort of happy dwelling with the characters and I just wondered that this is probably a metaphor for the way that different people react to series at different times and what's going on in your own life that you know we'll, okay let's watch let's let's watch the bear and, and let's do this episode so spoiler alert people we do plan these things and I've been so busy that I sort of I was I guess I just realized I'm sort of looking at it like work like okay right what do I got to do next I did this, I did that, I did that. Oh, shit, now I've got to watch the bear. So it's like, right, put on the bear, press play, watching, watching. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I think there was probably an element of that going on for me because I would normally love exactly the thing that you're talking about. Like, mm -hmm. you know, with, to, to use a common trope, Mr. Inbetween, right? There's so much unsaid in that show, so much that they just hint at with a line. You don't need to – you can imagine the backstory for that. And I should be happy imagining the backstory – or just waiting to be to be you know to for it to be revealed about his brother, but I was sort of impatient for it to all 
get all its strings drawn together. I mean, God, it's only eight episodes of 30 minutes. Like, yeah, so I felt like that, I that probably says to... more about me than it does about the show. I, I guess. mean, to me, it just seemed pretty, it wasn't like a big mystery. It's like he was a drug addict and he couldn't take it and he killed himself and mm. left this mess. You know, we do have that little letter, you know, that, yeah, that is gonna, that. it's like Chekhov's gun. You know, there's a letter that's introduced very early on, you know, well, eventually mm-hmm. he's going to have to read that letter and, and see what it is. And that, that has a really good payoff. Um, yeah. sorry, I, I interrupted somebody. No, I was just going to say, I want to, since we mentioned Mr. In Between, I think it's important that I head back up to the mountaintop and once again, declare that FX yeah. Yeah. is mm. like, for me, the standard bearer of the, the best, most consistent content on cable, period. Mm. Like HBO, I think, is in a class by itself. I'm not entirely sure how consistent I think they are right now. But by and large, FX is doing the most daring kind of storytelling. And it's working yeah. because they leave people alone. I, Bingo. That's, 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 the, that's what yeah, I got yeah, from when yeah. we did Reservation Dogs. And I was mm. a little bit worried that... we. I don't know. There was a couple of things that happened. I was like, oh, I don't think the studio's going to like that. They're not going to get it. And they just let their people do what they do. They choose really talented mm. people. That's my experience. And that's what I see with something like the bear, which could have turned into, I don't know what name. Yeah. name well, that's, another. that's certainly true. Remember yeah. when we spoke to Nash, Nash said, uh, I think Lisa, you asked him about, or Brian, maybe you asked him about how hands-on they were. And he said, zero. He, yeah. they, he said they, they like Nash and Ray said to him, uh, Scott, so I call Ray Scott and Scott Ray. Uh, anyway, um, that, uh, yeah, like they just no notes, no nothing. Just like they just said, we've, we've picked you. So go away and do your show and come back. And when it's done, we'll put it on air. That's, yeah. That's great. Very you know, I mean, they're, I mean, they're telling, and it's not to say that they don't have misses, you know, mm. the bastards executioner is an example. I mean, but they're swinging for the fences. Uh, no, I, I'm not going to say they're swinging for the fences. They're not. They're like just handing off to people who are going to tell the stories they want to tell, you know, mm. and sometimes yeah. it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that the, they, the, they obviously do a lot of work before they put their money down, but once they place their bet, it seems like, okay, the, yeah. money, the money's on the table. Damn. They're like, there's nothing else for us to do now. You off you go. Here, I I have only two complaints that are probably really only under the umbrella of one complaint, honestly. Um, And I noticed it every episode. uh, Bear, Carmi, not wearing a hat in the kitchen (laughs) made me crazy. Like, (laughs) or hairnets. Like, I don't care how, like every chef I've ever known. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Like it made me crazy and not having uh, an industrial can opener. You know what I'm talking about, <sighs> right? Like on the yeah. edge of the yeah, of the yeah, table, yeah. right? Yeah. And you just, yeah. Having yeah. like a little can opener was like, come on. Come um, on I really appreciated this, this relationship between young Sydney, you know, the up and coming chef and the old school, um, I forget what her name was. I have to look at the thing. Oh, uh, oh Tina. Uh, Tina. Yeah. I mean, I just love that relationship. And I just understood this older woman who's been there forever, you know, and and understands every grease layer in the place. And is this, and then she's gotta, 
to, you know, and, and I also understand that younger woman who just cannot get this woman to like her and you have to work with her. You have, there's, there's no out. You've got to be with somebody who fucking hates you. And I love, I love the bit where (laughs) Tina is always saying Jeff instead of chef. I love that bit. That's like the best bit. And she carries it on to the end. It's fantastic. <laughs> I have the so subtitles on, so I always see that Jeff. Jeff yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I love that relationship. I thought that was really well done. Um, uh, so I don't want to spoil it for anybody. So I don't want to spoil it for you, Dean. But, the, you know, as you can imagine, there is a flashback. There are, you know, there is a flashback to um, the brother, Mike, Mikey. Michael? Mikey, yeah. Yeah, And of course, they they have a brilliant turn of casting. I'm not going to say who plays him, but it's somebody who is very indelible, who feels authentic. And what I love is is it's it's the the family kind of in the kitchen with him back when he was alive. And they have, you know, even Moss is very tall and they have him sitting on the sink next to the guy playing Mikey, who is also very tall. And it's just this great um, spatial relationship that they have where he's not towering over everybody. And there's something so kind of diminutive of him sitting on the sink and like, um, you know, being with his bestie and having the bestie Mm. holding court. Um, I thought that was, it was just a great little kitchen scene between the siblings and cousin, you know. And that kind of of like storytelling, if again, going back to authentic, just like telling the story, like uh, let's tell it one more time, right? We've heard this story mm-hmm. before, but I'm going to tell it to you again. I mean, it's such a feature of these kinds of families. And, you know, I mean, like it's a feature of my family growing up, you know, my, my family would gather in the summertime, right? And my granddad and my mom and my aunt and uncle and my grandmother would tell the same stories every summer. And it was like, <laughs> and it would elicit laughter yeah. every time. You know, mm. and it's like, and that's, it's, it's a remarkable, it's a remarkably simple piece of work that is just staggering the whole thing. Yeah. Right. And I think that the, oh, sorry, Dean, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say there's some on the topic of writing. I, I haven't sort of looked properly through it, but I think they've got quite a rotating cast of, of writers, don't they? It's not a single it's not a single writer who's written the entire yeah. thing. Yeah, right. But so I think the normally... whole thing is based on Christopher Storer's family because he's from a restaurant family. And so right. a lot of it is based on. on. But they got a good room. Like they've got women directors, women writers on the thing. It's like mm-hmm. it's super solid. So mm. I, um, one thing I, one thing I will say, and because the, you know, the lady friend and I are trying to find shows that we can watch together. And so, uh, you know, like evil, the first season of evil was on Amazon prime. So we watched that and it was like, okay. And so watch season two on Paramount plus, I wanted to see like being on a streaming service, it would be different. And, and then we started watching Picard and I, and I, and I watched the bear and it's such a, a palate cleanse because (laughs) I mean, evil, I mean, it's like, the shows are such garbage. You know what I mean? It's like, they really are They're I don't care if they're on Paramount plus it's like, they're not elevating the work at all. I mean, it's still mm. like, they're still trying to cater to either an older audience or what they perceive to be a younger audience. And it's just like, they're just not being, it's just inauthentic. It's just, it makes me crazy. I can't mm. stand it, yeah. which is why the bear is so refreshing to see. 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely captures, I mean, almost too vividly. I know there are some people who have worked in the restaurant industry who watch the show or like, I I can't because there is some some PTSD about it, you know, because the restaurant industry and the entertainment industry are, you know, if you're an up and coming actor, you're going to be a waiter. And even if you're not up and coming anymore, you're probably still going to be a waiter. And then when you're a really famous actor, you buy a restaurant. Yeah. So <laughs> it's some, and, and then there is such a huge drug culture in the oh. restaurant business, because, mm. you know, for all kinds of reasons. I mean, it's a well, I mean, you've got you the traffic. Well, you've got the cash. Easily. I mean, that was a yeah. thing. when I was waiting tables, you had that disposable cash. And what did you do after a shift? You go to a bar. I mean, well, you like your shift drink, your owed a shift drink. So right after, <laughs> at, you know, yeah. you have your shift drink or two or three. Well, and this is the thing. So like, so in Chicago, so when I was working as a waiter in Chicago, Fireside Restaurant on North Ravenswood Avenue, um, I closed the patio. I was a closing waiter on the patio and it was open year round. They had like a, a tent and then they would do a double tent and then have heaters to keep it open during wintertime. And, you know, if I was busy, you know, I'd be there till we closed it. For, it was a 4 a.m. bar. 5 a.m. on Saturday. And I do my side work, do my bank, get my shift drink, and then we'd kick everybody out. And then they'd start getting the spill sheet out, right? So then you'd have a couple more drinks. Everybody would have a shot, right? Put it on the spill sheet, you know, leave a tip yeah. for the bartender, whatever. And then you you it was packaged goods too. So you could buy a six-pack from the restaurant and take off. And so, mm-hmm. you know. It wasn't uncommon to at six o'clock in the morning, have a six pack of Miller Lite, stop off at McDonald's and go home. Yeah. But it was like it was my normal shift. Yeah. Mm. Well, especially after a shift. I mean, it's so exhausting. And while you're working, all you want to do is go home. But when your shift ends, you have to debrief. You know, yeah. you want to tell mm. war stories with everybody like, oh, that couple tonight, they were they were crazy or and you're so jacked up you can't go to sleep right away oh yeah yeah no. yeah, 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 yeah yeah and just yeah. eating together having family meal i mean that is a real thing where the the yeah. chef you know a lot of times he'll, he'll, they'll put out what the specials are and everybody has to taste it but then they do make a sit-down family meal for everybody um before everybody's shift and it's just a great it's mm. just a great tradition you know and it is you know a, a restaurant is a family very dysfunctional there's all kinds of people fucking each other in the pantry and like people fighting and doing lines in the back there was one time this guy was like chopping he was making a dish and a cigarette in his mouth and the ashes were like coming down into the potatoes and i'm like what the fuck you know there's just all kinds of things that happen in a restaurant and so you know i love you know i'm a sucker for a movie about a restaurant but this really felt super authentic and uh i just i loved it i think it just comes together so well yeah just to piggyback on what you're talking like the ptsd of it but the after the first episode the lady friend was like i'm out i can't watch it like the toxic masculinity of it like him bringing out the gun and Firing oh, it in yeah. the air. She was like, I'm done. I'm out. And I get that. I mean, but it's authentic to the personalities and the place and all oh, of 100%. it. 100%. Yes. You know? yes. And so, all the all the injuries, like cutting your, oh my gosh, cutting your finger and mm-hmm. you still have to work and, and burning and when yourself. And- yeah. When he asked, like, I, I think it's an episode you haven't seen, but at one point they're outside and having a smoke, Richie and, um, and Carmi. And he looks at it at Carmi's form and goes, uh, is that the oven or did you get it on the oven? And he's points at his arm. And I knew exactly what he meant. Like, Oh, burn. Mm. And he goes, yeah. no, it was like, uh, I, 
a fire, like a barbecue grill or whatever. But like I've mm-hmm. gotten burned, like taking bread mm-hmm. out of the oven. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was great. You know, the ensemble casting and I got to shout out the casting director mm-hmm. who who probably who did the pilot, Jeannie Backrack. But then they're all I think all of the great um, Chicago casting directors were involved, too. I'm going to have to shout them out because um Jennifer Rudnicki, Mickey Pascal, Alexis Jade Links, you know, shouting them out. It's just a great, great job. And you see those really authentic faces. It's just, it's just a pleasure. It's a meal. It's a wonderful, delicious meal to consume. Uh, One other Chicago actor, I don't remember him being in it, but Mick Napier Mm -hmm. is like a Chicago institution. He's been around a long, long, long time, plays Cousin Frank. Something like that. All right. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, like Abby Elliott is great in this. I immediately, uh, what is it, Chris, Chris uh, Witoski, Pete, her husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah. I oh, mean, I, I think it's a knock. Yeah, that well, the, he's the knock? he's the kind of like the straightaway guy who wants yeah. to be part yeah. of the things, and he wants to be part of the family, part of. And the I was like, wants to be the cool guy. I was like, yeah. where have I seen that guy? And I immediately was like. Oh shit! He's in the progressive commercial. He's the oh, he's the guy like uh, uh, in the therapy, like when you become your parents, when you become a homeowner. Oh, that's right! Oh my gosh, that's so brilliant. Yeah, yeah, he's great. He's great. Like the whole well, cast I'm, is I'm, just amazing. I'm actually now looking forward to sort of sorting out the viewing of this somehow, and then sitting back. And uh, I might, because I'm only four reps in, I might even just go back to one and just watch it. You know, I kind of from... want to watch it again too, because I didn't realize oh, yeah. that that episode seven was in one shot. That's just I didn't clock that, right. um, and I really wanted to um, go back and appreciate what that is. Hey, I had a thought, and I wanted to run this by you. I was trying, like with Jeremy Allen White, I was trying to kind of like there was something about him that it was like trying to connect him to somebody. He was reminding me of somebody. He's got big Nick Cage energy, doesn't he? Oh, wow. I don't. Yeah, a little bit. I don't, I don't yeah, know if I, I can see that, that in sort of. him. Facially in his eyes. That's so deliberately mm, quirky. Yeah. He's got to. No, no, no. It's not. It's it's yeah. the it's the facial. It's not the, like oh, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's like a grounded Nick Cage. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he's. Yeah. But facially, yeah, it's of, like in his eyes, you know. He reminds me a lot so, of my Yeah, yeah. I'm saying. He reminds me a lot of my ex, so it's kind of hard for me <laughs> to. <laughs> All right, yeah, but, I, was, I, um, I, I was thinking, Brian, circa Moonstruck, he's there yes, at the same age yes, in Moon. Yeah, yes, yeah, I can see absolutely. That. And there he was baking yeah, bread. Yeah, now, I'm, so that's now funny. I'm seeing it. So yeah. and, then, and then of course, Eben Moss Blackrock has that face that looks like it's just been through so I mean, many late nights. And you know. I, I really do. Like I just, I, I love that guy. Yeah. Like he he did his work. I mean, he really yeah, did. He did his he work. Did. That could have he's been like, so obnoxious. He could have been so obnoxious. And I just and he was so big, you know, he did not pull back at all. And I and I loved it. I liked it. Not a false note that I detect in that. No, 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 no. I mean, he's he's amazing. He's great. Yeah. Uh. Anything else? Uh, no, I think um, I, I just said that there. I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to circle back and look at it with fresh eyes and without feeling like it's work. Well, Bri Brew, it was so good to see you. So good, good to see you. Here. Thanks for having me back, y'all. Great. Getting the band back together. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad that you're alive and well and in Chicago where you Kicking belong. It. Loving it. Kicking it. And, you know, we'll have you back again the next time there is 
Something. A show we're talking about. A show that we're talking about. <laughs> All right. Well, for now, this is Killer Casting signing off. Killer Casting is a concept created by her, Lisa Zambetti. It is produced by me, Dean Laffin. Logo art by my beautiful wife, April Laffin. Audio editing by him, Sean at Choice Voice productions.com and our theme music we are beautiful comes from them that would be hollywood legends amphibious zoo music until next time killer casting out